What's up, Dolphin fans? Welcome to another episode of The Same Old Dolphin Show. This is Aaron the Brain, once again flying solo. Josh is at that time of year where the weather is cold up there and he's he's doing a lot of shouting at a bunch of kids, apparently. Uh, and uh, he, he told me yesterday that he lost his voice. So, kind of hard to do a podcast when you've got no voice. So, once again, I am coming to you solo with the preview for the Dolphins matchup against the New York Jets uh, coming up this Sunday at 1 p.m. A battle of two teams that are now both battling for top five picks. It's becoming increasingly unlikely that the Dolphins will get the top pick in the draft. In fact, it's becoming more likely that the Dolphins are going to end up finishing with a better record than the New York Jets. And this game is going to go a long way towards deciding that. The Dolphins with games against, you know, obviously this one against the Jets, the Bengals, and the Giants still remaining on their schedule here in their last four games. The Dolphins have three very winnable games. And if they win this one, they're going to be tied with the Jets, but by virtue of sweeping them for the season series, they will end up uh, leapfrogging them in the standings, which is just incredible because, you know, this is a Dolphins team whom the narrative about coming into the season was how they were tanking even before they traded Laramie Tunsil and and Minka Fitzpatrick. And then after they did, it was, this team's not going to win a game. This might be the worst team in NFL history. And meanwhile, the Jets went out and spent a bunch of money on C.J. Mosley and on Le'Veon Bell and were supposed to challenge for a playoff spot. And here we are coming into week 14 in the 13th game of the season. And the Dolphins, while this game is in the Meadowlands, have an opportunity to actually finish with a better record than the New York Jets. So the question now coming into these games, into this game in particular, and the remaining four games, is what do you want out of the rest of the year? It's become it's become pretty apparent that this quarterback class, which was revered as a really, really good quarterback class, maybe not the best quarterback class in some time, but it was it was seen as Tua being an elite prospect, Justin Herbert being a very, very good prospect, Jake Fromm being a very good prospect, and then we added, uh, then you still had Jordan Love, who's looking like a very good prospect, and then the emergence of Joe Burrow, and you thought, well, there's four or five really good quarterbacks in this draft. Well, Jake Fromm has had a very rough year. It just appears like the limitations in his game Look, they're, they're showing up against SEC defenses. That means they're certainly going to show up against NFL defenses. It's not to say that he can't be a good quarterback at the next level, just that he is clearly not an elite prospect, and I don't believe to be even a first-round talent. Justin Herbert still flashes elite ability and elite tools, but there just seems to be something off. You see the same things missing in his game now in his senior year at Oregon that you've seen his entire time there as the starting quarterback. So he's an interesting prospect, but he's not 
you know, he, he really hasn't developed or gotten much better as his college career has gone on. Jordan Love, still a guy with elite talent, but is extremely raw and is having a really rough year at Utah State because he lost his whole offensive line, all of his weapons, and uh, it's been a very up and down year. And you wonder, with a guy with that talent, who's so raw, who lost all of his weapons and had a down year, you wonder if it's not just going to be worth it for him to return to school and, and and come back for his senior year at Utah State. And of course, you have the Tua injury, and now Joe Burrow, he, he's become, he, from being a, an, an afterthought, from being a guy that really wasn't even on the radar, uh, has become the guy that is the consensus number one quarterback in the upcoming draft. Of course, the the concerns with uh, Tua's injury and the the figuring out of whether or not uh, he's going to come back full strength and whether or not he's injury prone, that stuff, uh, look, he'll be poked and prodded by all the doctors in the NFL to figure out exactly how reliable they feel his body is towards standing up to the rigors of an NFL career, but that'll be figured out. I mean, I don't know if it'll be figured out, but those doctors will have their assessments and that'll go a long way towards uh, deciding Tua's future uh, in the NFL or at least his draft stock. Of course, you have to ask the other question, which is, you know, maybe maybe Tua, because he's not going to be the number one pick and because he he's likely not going to be healthy at the time of the draft, the, the injury concerns, do they drop him out of the first round? And if they drop him out of the first round projected, does he just decide to go back to Alabama for his senior year? So there's a lot of uncertainty now with this quarterback class, which seemed like a sure thing. And it seemed like this is the offseason that you've got to draft a quarterback. All of a sudden, the Dolphins no longer looking like they're going to get the number one pick, now have to decide, well, they don't have to decide now, but they will probably have to decide whether or not they even want to take a quarterback in the first round of uh, of the coming draft. So it's it's changed the equation a little bit, and that makes me ask this question. For those of you who were in favor of the tank, myself included, now that the Dolphins have kind of put themselves in a position where they, you know, are clearly not tanking and they're probably not going to get the number one pick. What do you want to see the rest of the year? Do you want to see the Dolphins continue to improve? Do you want to see them win as many games as possible? Do you want to see them beat these bad teams like the Bengals and the Jets and the Giants and finish this season with six wins, which would be remarkable considering the talent and would speak volumes to the coaching staff? Or... Do you still just want this team to lose as many games as possible? Because even if it's not the number one pick, you still want as good a draft pick as possible. You want those draft picks to have as much value as possible. And we, we've seen enough from this coaching staff to know that, that at the very least, they, they seem to be doing a great job this season. And... If you can project that out and they can continue to do what they've done this season, you got to feel pretty good about where this team will be once they have actual talent uh, or a depth of talent on the roster, especially if they have their quarterback, which, you know, that's becoming increasingly the most difficult thing for this team to do. So where I sit on it is that 
I'm still where I've been all year, which is I want the team to play well and continue to improve, but I still want them to lose games because for one, I still believe that if Tua is healthy and the doctors decide that he's going to make a full recovery and that he can have, and that he can stand up to the rigors of an NFL career, we may end up getting him on a bargain, but the more wins we have, the greater the chance that somebody else could have that opportunity to get to a, on a bargain. So I would still like to be shooting for that number three or four pick. It seems unlikely that we'll get the number one pick, which would probably land Joe Burrow, which I would be in favor of at this point because it just, look, the guy's having a remarkable, a, a remarkable season and he's just been consistently getting better and looking steady and doing everything that you want out of the quarterback position. And he's got the size, he's got the strength, uh, he's got the body for it, the toughness. And I mean, he he's making all the throws. He's got the mental aptitude, the leadership, everything you want out of the quarterback position, Joe Burrow is showing. So I think he's proven himself through a series of tough games in the SEC. Of course, he's still got uh, the SEC title game and potentially, the well, most likely the college football playoffs, potentially a national championship game. So he's still got some big games left to to put on film. But assuming he, do, he does well in those games, I think considering the circumstances, he's, he's probably the number one pick. And if you had the number one pick, uh, that would be the guy to go with if you're looking for a quarterback. But even if it's not a quarterback, you still want the the highest pick because you want your pick of the litter. And you also, let's say you get to the number four pick and let's say Tua isn't your guy. Maybe your, your doctors, the intel that your doctors have gathered says we can't trust Tua. Maybe, maybe Justin Herbert is their guy, but somebody else wants to take a shot on on uh, Tua. Maybe it's the Chargers. Maybe the Chargers, now that they're having a, a bad year and Philip Rivers seems to be on the decline, maybe this is the year that the Chargers try to strike and, and grab their quarterback of the future. And maybe, maybe you get a trade down situation with a team that, that wants to trade up to take a quarterback. And then you still get a guy like Justin Herbert while acquiring another future first round pick. And if Justin Herbert doesn't turn out to be the guy, well, you got more picks and you just keep on doing this thing where you keep acquiring picks because the draft is ultimately a crapshoot. And even teams that have done a great job in the draft over years and years and years, they typically don't do better than hitting on 60% of their players. So how do you ensure that even if you're hitting on 60% of your players, how do you ensure that you're still going to be able to build a really solid foundation through the draft? And that is just keep getting more picks. And the more picks and the more high value picks, the better the chances are that you're going to hit on those picks and you're going to end up building a really great uh, foundation through the draft, which all signs point to the Dolphins having that as their plan, which is great because we've been calling for that for years. It's still very early in the process, but with all of the draft capital that they've acquired through last offseason, through this regular season, 
you know, that they could potentially acquire, uh, in the upcoming draft. Uh, I just think that you just gotta, you gotta keep making those smart analytical decisions where you're not reaching on guys. And if there's a trade to be made and the player is not somebody that you're a hundred percent bought into, look, keep acquiring trade down, keep getting more and more picks. Cause the, the more picks this team gets, the better position they're going to be in to build this thing into a sustainable long-term winner. And the higher your draft position is, the better your draft pick is, the easier it is, the more valuable it is, or those picks are to trade, to acquire more. And ultimately, you know, if there is a player that you fall in love with, whether it's Tua, whether it's Herbert, whether it's uh, Chase Young or, or whoever, the higher your pick is, the better opportunity you've got to get them. So I do think it is still important for this team to lose games. They're not really proving a whole lot by winning games against the Jets, Bengals, or Giants going forward. And in fact, losing those games are just going to drop us further in the draft order. So while, look, it's certainly exciting that the team is playing better and Brian Flores should certainly be commended for the job that he's doing. And I certainly want the team to play better and and keep improving. I do think that right now winning games probably does more harm than good. But I want to also give the caveat that it's not the end of the world because there there is value in winning games. If you do win football games and these guys that have bought in to the program see that there is you know, that there are tangible results to them buying in, that's going to keep them bought in. And that's going to get other people to buy in. And that is how you actually get the culture change that multiple coaches have talked about. And I would like to point out that after multiple regimes have come in to this organization and taken over teams that were struggling, as new coaches typically do, and have preached culture change, culture change, culture change, and have won games, more games than than the experts have thought in their opening years. And and everybody preached about culture change. I want to point out that we haven't had very much talk of culture change, that cliche that seems to follow around every single new coach in the NFL. And I got to say that it's really refreshing. Brian Flores doesn't talk about culture change. He just talks about doing the right thing and working hard and getting guys that are going to be where they need to be and do their job and work hard and buy in every day. And I appreciate that more than the, you know, we're trying to change the culture here. We're trying to change the culture. Brian Flores isn't trying to change anything. What he's trying to do is win football games. And he's trying to get guys that that fit what he's looking for on his football team. And I think that that, while it's probably semantics and it all adds up to the same thing, which is culture change, I do think that uh, it's refreshing to have somebody just not in there spouting cliches. So one more news item to get into before we actually break down this game. Eric Rowe has signed an extension, reportedly. Eric Rowe was signed to a one-year deal coming into this year to be presumably the Dolphins' second cornerback behind Xavier Howard, and uh, it didn't go well 
he had his moments, but really just it didn't pan out and it it appeared through the probably the first half of the year or so that Eric Rowe was probably not going to be long for this this team uh because he just really wasn't producing at at the cornerback position and and then you lost Xavier Howard and Nick Needham was the guy that was stepping up and becoming the team's top corner but Eric Rowe ended up going through a positional change and has been playing safety. And all of a sudden, the Dolphins seem to have found their tight end stopper. The last few weeks, Eric Rowe, we've been putting him on the opposing team's best tight end, and he's been doing an amazing job. And in today's NFL, where there are, I don't know, probably half, maybe two-thirds, maybe even more, maybe three-quarters of the teams in the NFL have a tight end that is one of those, uh, you know, joker tight ends that is essentially just a big, you know, an oversized wide receiver that's running somewhere in the four, five, four sixes that is too big for a defense, for most defensive backs to cover and too fast for most linebackers to cover is a huge matchup problem. You need to have a guy that can lock down an opposing tight end. And it looks like the Dolphins have found their guy in Eric Rowe. And because of the way that he's played, it seems like a really good idea to extend him. And when you look at the contract, it is a three-year deal worth up to a total of $18 million, which it sounds like a lot, $6 million a year for a guy that's relatively unproven, who is basically going to be playing a niche role. But there's only $7 million guaranteed. So I haven't seen the exact breakdown of it, but more than likely what you're looking at is the majority of that money being guaranteed in the first year or probably probably the you know 6 million dollars guaranteed and then probably only about a million of it guaranteed the, the the second year which means if he's here next year and he's not playing well or he gets hurt or he's just you know not not playing the way that he's played the last few games you just cut him and with all the and and you're not going to face much of a cap penalty on it. So uh, again, that's not with having the 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 official breakdown in front of me. But seven million dollars guaranteed. There's only so many t- so many different ways that you can slice it, and either way that you slice it means that at some point, if he's not living up to the contract, he's probably going to be a very easy cut. So this seems like a very much in line. Uh, low risk, high reward contract extension for Eric Rowe. And with the way that he's played over the last few weeks and with the role that he's taken over being a role that is really becoming a necessity in today's NFL, I think it is a much warranted contract and a, a good contract extension given out by the Dolphins. So before we get into the breakdown, this is where I just like to remind you to Follow DolphinsTalk.com, your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. Follow the podcast, you know, the same old Dolphins show on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere where you can, iTunes, anywhere where you can find your favorite podcast. Go ahead and follow the podcast on there so that, you know, subscribe to it so that every time we 
release a new show, it pops right up there on your feed, and you're like, yep, it's another episode of the same old Dolphin show. I'm going to listen to this on, on my way to work, or on my way home from work, or when I wake up, or when I'm eating breakfast, or drinking my morning coffee, or whenever it is that you listen to your podcast. And you know, if you like the podcast, and clearly if you're you're listening to the podcast and you've made it through 20 minutes of my stream of consciousness rantings, go ahead and and give us a rate. Uh get you know, like us, rate, review uh on iTunes, on you know, whatever whatever app you use, and and uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh your feedback is important to us, and of course we love, 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 love those five star reviews. So, the Dolphins play the Jets, those ugly, disgusting, despicable New York Jets. Josh isn't here, so I didn't open the show with it, but before I get into this preview, (coughs) fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the fucking Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the fucking Jets. Fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the fucking Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck the Jets, fuck them. Okay, so Adam Gase and those disgusting New York Jets uh, host the Miami Dolphins in this one as the Dolphins look to give further embarrassment to the New York Jets, who are the only team in NFL history to lose to, to two winless teams as late as uh, week eight or later in the NFL season. It's a truly, truly uh, magnificently terrible performance by Adam Gase and the Jets this season. Sure, they had their mitigating circumstances at the beginning of the year with, with Sam Darnold having mono, but you know, of course that that of course that would happen to an Adam Gase team or to a New York Jets team and a team that when you look at their roster is just absolutely riddled with injuries. Uh, uh, something that we became very much accustomed to here in Miami under the Adam Gase regime, a team that was typically poorly conditioned and very hurt. And that is very much the case for the New York Jets. In fact, they just put CJ Mosley on injured reserve. So he's done for the year and their best player, Jamal Adams, he's battling injuries and he likely will miss this game. And with those two guys out, that means that a Jets defense that has been pretty good. It has been their strength this season is going to be missing some key pieces. And the one thing that this Jets defense does really well is stop the run, but the Dolphins don't run the ball well. (laughs) The Dolphins, in fact, run the ball as bad as any team that I've seen, as bad as any Dolphins team that I've seen in my, in my lifetime. And, and they're the worst rushing team in the league. And they're as bad as any team rushing the ball that I've seen over the last few years. So look at last week, we we kind of we scraped together a couple of gimmick plays, uh, you know, wildcat jet sweep, you know, some Ryan Fitzpatrick scrambles to to come up with you know with some rushing yards. But I don't believe that our game plan is going to be to pound our head against the wall against the Jets' uh, top ranked rush defense. Instead, against a Jets secondary that is underwhelming and is now missing its best player in Jamal Adams. I expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to go right back to the well with what he was doing last week, which is 
you know, when he gets a ma- a, a one-on-one matchup with Devontae Parker or Mike Gesicki, putting the ball up there and letting his guys try to make a play. And you're going to see one-on-one matchups because this Jets defense likes to blitz. Greg Williams is known for sending the pressure. He's a very, very, very aggressive defensive coordinator. He's he's a pretty good defensive coordinator. He's a stubborn defensive coordinator. You know, he he's going to do what he does, but that makes him very, you know, not necessarily easy to scheme against, but it makes, it lets you know, you know what you're going to see, and it enables you to come up with a game plan of how to, how to attack it. And that means that, if the Dolphins are able to get just any modicum of protection for Ryan Fitzpatrick, there will be opportunities to make some plays down the field. And I got to let the way Devontae Parker has been playing these last three weeks or this last month, I got to I gotta feel like he's in for another big game and Mike Kosicki is starting to break through. Uh, Alan Hearns is doing his thing in the slot and you're starting to gradually see a little bit more and more of Albert Wilson getting worked into the offensive game plan. So I, I think these guys are going to have opportunities to score and Ryan Fitzpatrick, as long as he's quick on the trigger, and making the right reads and these guys continue to make plays for him. I think the Dolphins have the opportunity to put up some points in this game on the other side of the ball. It's a Dolphins defense that look, it, it, it was not an easy game for them last week and wasn't a great game for the Dolphins defense last week, but after falling behind 28 to 14 very early in the third quarter, the Dolphins defense really, really tightened up at the end of the game and only allowed three more points over the remainder of the game, which was a really impressive job by this defense and especially this secondary in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter and the fourth quarter of that game. So it's still a defense that is proving to be well coached. It's a scheme that shows that it's working. It's a defense. It's a, it's a coaching staff that's showing that they, They know how to scheme and figure things out on the fly because you're seeing the defense actually improve as the game goes on, which is something that I don't think we've had here. I don't even know that we've had that here since even even in the Jimmy, maybe in the Jimmy Johnson days, we had that here. But it's been a long time since you really felt like the Dolphins were a team that was really good at making in-fly or on the fly adjustments, in-game adjustments, and not a team that would come out with good game plans, but then the other team would figure it out and then we'd be holding on for dear life. So uh, it, it looks like the coaching staff is doing a great job in that regard and the defense is improving. And Sam Darnold, Look, he's had he's had a couple of really nice games. He's had a couple of really really bad games. But one thing that he has struggled with is he struggled against the New England Patriots, and he struggled against the Dolphins this year. And it's not a coincidence that those teams run very similar schemes. So I think we're getting to the point. I mean, we'll know more, you know, probably next year or in the coming years uh, when we really see what this defense looks like when there's more of the talent that this, you know, that this team wants long-term in there, more of that elite talent on this defense, particularly in the secondary. But it feels to me like we're going to get to that point 
where much like when you play the New England Patriots, people talk about playing a Bill Belichick defense and, and the fits that it causes, especially young quarterbacks. I think we're going to get there with the Brian Flores defense. Remember, go back to last year and go back to the Super Bowl and the defensive game plan that they had against Jared Goff and the Rams. Nobody expected, especially after giving up all those points to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the AFC title game, nobody expected the Patriots defense to be able to hold the Rams to single digits in the Super Bowl, but they did. And it was a Brian Flores defense. It was a Brian Flores game plan and scheme. And we're seeing it now with this Dolphins defense that it's not necessarily about having elite talent. Having elite talent will certainly make things a lot easier to scheme and it gives you more options on what you can do. But if you've got guys that are bought in and you can get them to do their job and play within your scheme. The scheme is working, and we're seeing uh, we're seeing a good amount of bend but not break, which has also been a Patriots staple over the years. And we're just seeing solid, disciplined defense from this Miami Dolphins unit, which. Look, it's exciting because there is not very much talent on that side of the ball. So the fact that they're doing what they're doing, uh, it just it speaks volumes to the coaching staff and it gets you excited for the future. And it makes you feel like Sam Darnold could be in for another tough game. Now, I don't know what the plan is to to guard uh, Le'Veon Bell, but if we can put some points up on the board and we could just limit big plays... You know, Le'Veon Bell could get his, but if we're not giving up big plays down the field and we're forcing turnovers, that's a that's a win and that's a recipe for victory. So I see this game as look, I do think you're gonna get Adam Gase probably reaching into his bag of tricks maybe a little bit to make some things happen. And I think you're going to get a a, spirit, a spirited effort on his part because he does definitely does not want to get swept by his former team. And he certainly doesn't want to lose to them at home in front of his home crowd, which, I mean, apparently they've given him the, the vote of confidence to return next year, which, that, let's face it, that's that's been pretty much a death knell for the majority of, court, of coaches who have gotten that owner's vote of confidence. But... He's gotten the vote of confidence, so maybe he does have some job security, but you got to feel like if he loses a home game to the Dolphins and he's got a sweep at the hands of the Dolphins who were supposed to be tanking, who were the team that fired him, and you've got a loss to a winless Bengals team that came into the game 0-11 on his resume, you got to think that at some point the ownership is going to look at that and say, this just ain't working. So I do think Adam Gase still has to feel a little bit of heat and and probably comes out really motivated with his game plan and gets his team to fight hard. But at this point, are the Jets even the better team? Does it even matter? Because he can come out with the most spirited game plan that he wants, but if if he's going to get out-schemed by Brian Flores and the Dolphins are just the better team, then the Dolphins are going to win this game. And you know what? I think that that's what's going to happen. I think the Dolphins are just playing better. There is more momentum on their side of the ball. There is just a positive energy going. And they're going to come out and they're, look, they're not going to blow the Jets out, but they're going to play solid football. And the Jets, I believe, are going to continue to make 
the same mistakes that they've been making, that Adam Gase teams make, that Sam Darnold team that Sam Darnold makes, and the Dolphins are going to win the turnover battle. The Dolphins are going to force the the Jets to to settle for a few field goals, and the Dolphins are going to come out of MetLife Stadium with a 23 to 16 victory over the New York Jets. So, that's my prediction. Again, I don't necessarily want the Dolphins to win, but if you beat the Jets, it's not the end of the well, it's not the end of the world if you win games, and if you beat the New York Jets and you embarrass the New York Jets and Adam Gase, there's certainly not a lot to hate about that. So, uh we will have our post-game show after the game on Sunday. Hopefully Josh will have regained his voice by then. If not, I suppose I can do another solo show for you guys. So until next time, for Josh, Amplified to Rock, this is Aaron the Brain saying, Go Dolphins!